Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainer writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Thursday, September 2nd, 2021. Already been a long day for Drew. You were up at like 2 so you could be on Zoom for the, the Venice Film Festival, right? Yeah, yeah. It was all the anxiety of not waking up for your with your alarm with none of the pleasure of being in Venice, Jim. So yeah, that was Okay. That was my morning, but or late evening. I don't know. I don't know. Should I have just stayed up late, Jim? What do you think? I never know what to do in one of those situations. And it's one of these things where it's like, are they gonna call on me? I look like a raccoon. Right. I had my I had my Dune T-shirt on though, Jim. I looked adorable mm-hmm. on camera, so yeah. Don't worry. I mean, I've been hearing things to the effect of this is finally the film that breaks the Dune curse. I loved it. I can say that since I know that this will this uh, episode will air after the embargo mm-hmm. has broken. I thought it was terrific. Why? Um, okay. I will tell you that there is is a different title at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. and that title is Dune Part One. Mm-hmm. Jim, so we will see if we ever get to Dune Part 2. That is my only fear. Okay, well, speaking of which, you were the one this week happily tweeting out about the return of the Rocketeer? Yes, I'm so excited. Yeah, I think it's a perfect, perfect approach, right? I mean, I know we've talked about, or I know you've talked about uh, the Lucas uh, Tuskegee Airmen movie before. That's an intriguing way in, but do we have a time frame as to when this former member of the Tuskegee Airmen sort of takes up the, the Rocketeer mantle? Is it? I, I don't, you know, I, I mean, it, it puts him at the, in roughly the same time period as Cliff Secord, our fearless hero from the original film. So I wonder if there is going to be some, some crossover there. Disney's gotten awfully good at digital de-aging, so I would love to see him sort of pass the... Pass the torch, okay. pass the rocket pack. No, yeah. I, I, I'd love to see that too. I've always been a fan of the, the original Joe Johnson movie and w- was excited to see this as the take. And speaking of something I was excited to see just this past weekend, finally got to see Lupin the Third, the first. Oh, can I ask you what you thought? Lupin forever has been a 2D property and it's been great fun because of the amazing action scenes, the chase scenes. And, and likewise, I mean, it, half the fun of Lupin is the incredibly extreme poses. And really, from a CG point of view, they nailed both of those. They had great action scenes yeah. and they kept the fun of the poses and the characters. And it was also nice that the film was introduced by Takahashi Yamazaki, who wrote and directed the thing. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Fathom had him film an introduction, and he was very excited about it being shown in the States. Nancy and I caught the encore. I guess it ran in theaters early in the summer. She was the only person seated in the theater, you know, like literally one minute before the screening began. And then by the time the lights came up 94 minutes later, uh, there were three other people in the theater. Whether they paid, I don't know. Right. <laughs> Personally, it was well worth seeking out. And it's worth mentioning that Lupin the Third, the first, is actually available right now on Google Play, Amazon Prime, and Apple TV. Price range is $3.99 to $4.99. There's also a great Blu-ray that uh, G Kids and Shout Factory put out, Jim, that has a lot of great special features on it that I, I treasure Ooh. deeply. Yeah. Okay, and you also wanted to mention Future Boy Conan, right? Yeah, uh, Future Boy Conan is finally coming out. I mean, speaking of, Hayao Miyazaki's first film was Castle of Castelliagro, which uh, was, uh, 
you know, a Lupin the Third story, and I think mm-hmm. pre- informed Lupin the Third the First in a big way. And so this was his his debut series, mm-hmm. and it's finally out in America on Blu-ray and digital download on November sixteenth. There's a great trailer out there you can watch, and you can see how how explicitly it inspired uh, Luca from earlier this mm-hmm. year. A lot of the same aesthetic, and um, I'm just so excited, Jim. I could not have pre-ordered that thing quicker. Uh, than when it went up the other day. So Now, speaking of ordering things, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Yes. There was a fairly pricey version out, but now there's a less pricey version. Is that correct? Yes, that is. There was, I think it was 275 and it had all these bells and whistles. They introduced two other ones this week, including a one for like 150 that had a lot of extra stuff. And then mm-hmm. the, the poor man's option, which was, I think, $49, which is the one I... I partook in but i think the two top tier ones have already sold out so if you're thinking about getting this set at all please check it out and both of those sets future boy conan and neon genesis evangelion both from our friends at g kids and we just want to tell them how much we love them and how we love everything they're doing right now so keep keep up the good work i agree so last show you were gonna just casually brought up oh yes your disney store you know is that gonna stay open and it's like and i thought well of course it's gonna stay open ours is an you know it's at an outlet mall and you know this we get all the stuff that's remainder from disneyland so of course if they're closing the rest of the chain our store will stay open and it was like five seconds after we recorded that show message shows up in my my inbox literally with the title of now it's time to say goodbye and it's like no so they're closing wow. our disney store it's gonna close on or before September 15th. In fact, Nate and I went just yesterday and they admitted that they had just gotten their last delivery merch. And when that stuff is gone, they close the doors. But they were definitely greasing the skids. I mean, as you walked in the door, they handed you a $10 off gift coupon. Everything in the store was 25% off automatically. And I guess if you spent enough money... They also gifted you a $10 off coupon for Shop Disney with the idea that, you know, hey, you know, you can't come here anymore, but you can go to Shop Disney. But a lot of folks have been mourning their local Disney store closing. I I think there was, I I forget, one of our listeners was putting up shots of the Disney store in Chicago and the Miracle Mile. And did you get to the one in Glendale before it closed? I didn't get to it before it closed, but I think I sent you a, a photo of me outside of it after it had closed. Um, that's true. That's yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, that was yes. that was the, the first one, and I've, I've seen so many amazing photos of that one. And mm. same with the Miracle Mile store, all those great... You know, I love the kind of height of the Disney store in the early 90s with the statues oh, yeah. and the yeah. catalog mm. and everything else. Mm. And, and that Miracle Mile store was definitely one of the last kind of designy stores. It was. So, it was. Yeah. I think, I think September 15th is the day most of them close, because... The one at Century City Mall, which had just re- actually been redone to that new store concept, Jim, with the no, giant screen and everything. Really? Yeah. yeah. That's going to be gone and uh, many others out here. So RIP Disney Store, you were really great and uh, you were way better than the Warner Brothers Studio Store. So one day, Jim, <laughs> we'll have to talk about the Hanna-Barbera Store. 
too. Oh, God, yes. Yes, yes. yes. Actually, we do have an interesting Hanna-Barbera reference deeper in the show today, but we'll get to the news now. And news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. I really did feel bad for you earlier this week when the news broke about Top Gun Maverick and Mission Impossible 7. I mean, here you had just told us all the great story about being at CinemaCon again. You see this footage early. And then just a day or so ago that Paramount announces that did they flat out say it was because of the Delta variant? No, they didn't. And I have a sneaking suspicion that part of it is to allow Tom to Mm. shoot all of Mission Impossible 8 before he has to do promotional work for Top Gun Maverick. That is my suspicion. I think it has a lot to do with COVID, but I think that also factors in. But that is just pure speculation on my part. So, okay. who knows? Interesting, yeah. interesting. Okay, so Top Gun Maverick got pushed back from its November 19th release date to uh, May 27th, 2022, six-month delay. And that then bumped Mission Impossible 7 out of that exact same slot. It got its release date pushed back by four months through September 30th of that same year. Given what we we saw Sony doing with Hotel Transylvania, Transfermania, and cutting that deal with Amazon, which, by the way, now we're in September and no official word on this yet? No. I, yeah, it's crazy. Like, it's got to come out before Halloween, right? I mean, that, no, is, that is a no-brainer, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I have no idea. They got to compete with all the the Halloween programming from every other streamer. So yeah, you've probably seen some of the stuff that's begun to bubble up for the Muppets Haunted Mansion. Oh my god, Jim! I've heard it is amazing. I've really, heard it's really great. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm I'm hoping because frankly, you and I both saw the Frank Oz <laughs> interview, and and I, I would imagine the the Muppet executives at Disney are like, can, can we please change change the narrative, please, please, please? <laughs> yeah, we were we were tweeting with people uh, about uh, cheapest Muppet movie ever made, but yeah, 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 I, know, yeah that, I haven't. There's nothing about Hotel Transylvania I've seen. It's really nuts. Mm-hmm. It is strange. Okay. But you were mentioning, given, you know, what's going on with Top Gun Maverick and vacating its spot on November 19th. And, of course, the Hotel Transylvania 4 stuff, Adam's Family 2, and and Paramount flat out descheduling the release of Clifford the Big Red Dog and yet showing it at CinemaCon. Did you talk with anybody who, who saw it? No, I think that that theater was empty. <laughs> I think it was probably as empty as your loop in the third uh, screening for that. Uh, well, I mean, I think partially because the the sen- the sensation is that it's probably headed to to Paramount Plus. Um, but could. yeah, I did not hear anybody feed- any feedback. But anyway, you uh, you and I were talking about taking in the bigger picture and with Top Gun Maverick vacating its November nineteenth release date what this meant for disney's Encanto, which is supposed to come out five days later the, the on the wednesday before thanksgiving yeah and you have some intriguing thoughts about this right yeah i i'm i'm feeling more and more confident each day that it's going to go direct to disney plus no premiere access just another christmas gift as mm-hmm. as soul was gifted us last year to everybody i think that People have looked at Luca and seen its cultural impact and its impact on sales. 
And I think it has had more impact being on Disney Plus for free than it ever would have had in a theater that you had to go and pay a, t- a ticket to go see. And I think that they've, I think that I, I, <laughs> I'm hesitant to say I know this, but I think that they are very aware that of that fact. And I think that especially with these movies, they're not that predicated on the box office. Box office is nice, but obviously they're part of a much larger engine that is used to sell pajama sets and action figures and as you're about to tell us Mm -hmm. things in the theme park yeah well speaking of which disney has announced that they will be holding auditions on sunday september 12th Uh, mind you this will be for the disneyland resort but they are looking for performers to play the character lookalike for mirabelle who is the central character of disney's encanto and by the way, is that now the official term, a character lookalike, rather than, didn't it used to be face character? Face character, or? yeah, that's what I had always heard. Maybe yeah. it's lookalike because people don't play this, mm-hmm. the characters in suits, they are friends of the characters in suits. There we go, all right, so. I, I, that interesting observation. Yeah. Okay, so so if you're thinking of, of auditioning, again, this is for the Disneyland Resort in, in Anaheim. Mirabelle is described as a Colombian 15-year-old who is ordinary, optimistic, and struggling to find her place in her family. And her story takes place hidden in the mountains of Colombia in a magical house in a vibrant town in a wondrous, charmed place called Encanto. And if you're looking to audition, Disney says up front, you got to be between 5'2 and 5'5 and be a high-energy performer with imaginative personal interaction skills, which sadly, if we're still dealing with the Delta variant come November, December, means you have to be able to yell from a porch, you know, and and, and wave at people and right. be in, in their, the background of their selfie. Mirabelle will be chasing butterflies outside of Epcot Center. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, did you see that the, somebody today was just running the, the new variation on this? No. Where it's Winnie the Pooh. It's this kind of old mime bit where he's got a honeypot in front of him. And he's trying to catch it, but every time he reaches down to get it, his foot kicks it ahead. It's, oh, that's um, cute. Yeah, it, it reminds me of, which was the Johnny Depp film where he sort of played Buster Keaton? Oh, Benny and June. There we go. All yeah. right, you know, it's the Benny and June gag with the I hat. thought you were going to say that that horrifying version of Winnie the Pooh from the early 70s with the <laughs> pot on top of his head. Uh, was coming back, which I would have just no. had, I would have run for the hills if that was true. Uh, well, you know, that one was famous for the fact that the arms were dead. Right. If you ever tripped and fell, you, you just laid there waiting for some cast member who was supporting the zoo crew, you know, came out and helped you back to your feet. So, uh, by the way, uh, something also I noticed today when, when sort of uh, noodling around online People were actually using this Mirabella casting notice to bring up the fact that Rhea and the Last Dragon doesn't have all that much a presence in the park. And yeah, that, you what know, the people. Heck? What the heck, Jim? I do want to point out that the new fireworks show for the, the Magic Kingdom, Enchantment, they mentioned that Rhea uh, will be showing up in that along with Judy Hobbs and. We just mentioned Soul. Evidently, the characters from Soul are going to factor into this fairly heavily as well. So it's more of the contemporary films rather than the classics, which I don't know how that ties into 50 years, but okay. Oh, yeah. 
And while we're talking about Ray and the Last Dragon, it's worth noting that Quirin Yun, the writer of Ray and the Last Dragon, is teaming with Don Hall, the co-director of Big Hero 6, on Disney Animation's film that follows Encanto into theaters. And that this one, I say it has a tentative release date because everything, everything's release date has been changing a little right. bit. Uh, November 23rd, 2022. We don't have a name for the film, but there is a casting notice that's been making the rounds in regard to this animated feature's lead character. Uh, he is called Ethan Clade. Does that sound right? I think it's Claude, but yes. Okay. Yeah. okay. And according to the info that Disney is sharing with agents as they look for just the right voice actor for this character, Ethan is a biracial Caucasian African-American 14-year-old who's very typical as far as teenagers go. He's playful and quick-witted, but he can also retreat. Ethan can be a wise-ass, but he isn't particularly tough. So, kind of an intriguing idea. It'll be interesting to see when we actually get a name for this film. Beyond that, Drew and I are, are always fascinated about how Disney promotes its films. And I was in McDonald's this past weekend. And Ron's Gone Wrong is supposed to arrive in theaters October 22nd of this year, right? Yeah, I, I think that will also happen um, because of a very convoluted Fox deal where mm-hmm. the first run, the first home video run goes to HBO. And so, you know, I think we've talked about this before. That, that's yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I think I think they need to get this out as well. But we're, we're very excited about it, right? Locksmith Studios is going to be awesome. But here's the thing. Normally, when a Disney film is arriving in theaters, and again, I get that this is a 20th Century Studios film that Disney is re- now releasing, but typically the Happy Meal drops like the Friday that the movie arrives in theater the Friday before. Right. And this one, The Toys, debuted at McDonald's earlier this month. In fact, they complete their run on September 13th. So wow. <laughs> five weeks before the movie is in theaters, they're well, out there. Did you, prom- did you see what's going in its place afterwards? Or what is going in its place? The 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World toys. 50 different toys coming to, uh, I think it's over a five or six week period. So anyway, get ready, okay. Jim. Gotta catch them all. <laughs> well, Suddenly, I think I'm going to pivot to the Ron toys. There's only six of them. Right. Uh, B-Bots. And each of them come with a different action, breakdancing, and they come with stickers so you can personalize them so you can do a superhero bunny or a disco cat. But there's another animated project coming up. In fact, it's the Ultra City Smiths that's going to debut on AMC+. Have you seen that's that they've just rebranded? That cable channel AMC to AMC Plus. No, I cannot keep up with what AMC is doing, but we just need to tell, make sure everybody knows that nobody's watched AMC since the last episode of whatever the last episode of Better Call Saul was on. That was the last time, and we're all just waiting for it to come back. So keep up the good work, AMC. I don't know who's watching it, but maybe we'll watch this new animated show. Well, yeah, now the Ultra City Smiths. Now, first of all, it's from the Stupid Buddy Studios, the folks who bring us Robot Chicken for Adult Swim. It's film noir, and only six half-hour episodes, but what's kind of intriguing is they got John C. Riley and Kurtwood Smith to do two voice characters, and 
there's kind of an interesting little teaser out for it. It's very dark, so I, I would bet good money we're not getting any Happy Meal toys out of this one. And while we're talking about celebrities voicing for animation for television, I don't know if you saw this week, Ryan Reynolds uh, revealed that he'll be doing a cameo on the series finale of Corner Gas Animated, which is, of course, based on, on the great sitcom Corner Gas. July of this year, they revealed that the fourth season is going to be the last, and the series finale featuring Ryan Reynolds' cameo is going to air on Monday, November 1st, and here in the States, uh, you can catch Corner Gas Animated on IMDb TV, which, have you ever watched that, Drew? Or? No, Jim, I'm looking at this note, and I, I, I feel like the turkey is from your... <laughs> from your porch came in and started typing on your keyboard. I have never seen this combination of words together. I have never heard of Corner Gas. It is ending its fourth season. I am I am beside myself right now, Jim. Corner Gas, the sitcom. I would actually put it up there with Seinfeld. It was that well-written. It was that funny. show went off the air. They did a live-action film, and then they revived the show as animated series and got virtually the entire cast back. I'm blanking the name of the actress who played Emma. Uh, she sadly passed away, but they, they got a good friend of hers when to come back. When was this show on, Jim? Hmm? When was the original show on? I want to say early 2000s. Oh, wow. Nancy and I stumbled across it. There, there have been a couple attempts at breaking into the American market. And honestly, it was, you know, this amazingly funny, charming show that I want to say was on TNT or TBS, and they didn't know what to do with it, so okay. they bobbled it. This is a beloved institution in Canada, much like Ryan Reynolds, and well worth seeking out. So one show ends, another show begins. And in fact, October 1st, Ghost and Molly McGee begins its run on the Disney Channel. Normally, at least with Disney Channel, they aired the first one and then they announced season two. And, and in this case... We're still a month out, if not more. And it's like, oh, nope, we're definitely doing season two of Ghost and Molly McGee. I was wondering if you saw the stuff that was sort of bouncing around the web early this week about how kind of like with Phineas and Ferb, which was originally pitched to Nickelodeon and they passed, I guess Molly McGee was originally pitched to Nickelodeon 14 years ago by Bill Motts and Bob Roth and... When they got their deal with Disney, they pitched Molly again, and it finally found a home after 14 years. Well, it looks it looks charming as heck. They they released the, uh, the intro to it, and uh, yeah, it looks really really wonderful, and it looks like a fun kind of Halloween treat as well in October. I agree. I agree. If you're already proved yourself, a series pickup comes a lot quicker. I mean, we had a Crudes, a New Age, was released theatrically in November of last year, then did the uh, premium video on demand thing in December. And of course, that film was the sequel to the original Crudes from March of 2013, which had its own animated series, Dawn of the Crudes, done in the 2D format. That was on Netflix, uh, ran four seasons, uh, starting in December of 2015, 52 episodes. So now we get a, a new Crude series, Crude Family Tree. This time around, though, it's CG rather than 2D. Yeah. And picks up right after, you know, where the story of New Age left off with the Crudes and the Bettermans teaming up to run a farm. 
kind of intriguing that it's only uh, six episodes. And these are going on Hulu and Peacock on the 23rd of this month. But our, our favorite Kelly Marie Tran will be back to voice her character, which is very exciting. Yes, she will. Yes, she will. Now, shows that we love, whether it's Gravity Falls, which only got two seasons, or the DuckTales reboot, which only got three seasons. I was wondering if you saw the August 29th issue of uh, Matt Baloney's What I'm Hearing newsletter. No, I didn't see it. What did they say? He was talking about the Netflix approach. Because so many shows on Netflix get binged. And they were actually using the Manifest deal that just got announced. Manifest, the show that got canceled by NBC, but got picked up by Netflix for one final season of uh, 20 shows with, you know, doing the 10 episodes, a break, and then the the final 10 episodes. But they were talking about how Netflix, they make uh, quite a bit of money off of people who come and will binge a show. But what they've discovered is that if a show has over, you know, 100 episodes, people are reluctant to begin binging it because it's like, wow, that's a really big commitment of time. Whereas if they look at the number of episodes and it's only 30 to 50, it's like, okay, that I can do. I can do that over, you know, a couple of weeks or a very busy weekend or that sort of thing. And supposedly it's folks like Disney that have now decided to follow the Netflix playbook. So suddenly this whole notion of, you know, us only getting 40 episodes of Gravity Falls, or I think there were a total of 69 episodes of DuckTales made, and then, you know, they just shut it down. Suddenly, that's a little more understandable. You know, it's like, you know, this is Disney following the successful Netflix playbook. Right. Well, they also don't have to fill however many hours of... uh broadcast programming either right wasn't it 66 66 episodes would get you how many months of every afternoon yes that 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 was supposedly the magic number that if you have 65 to 66 episodes that gets you 13 weeks of running a show five nights a week without a single rerun and that was supposedly the magic number that said have you been watching monsters at work at all or uh i started it I have not caught up yet, but I know that all the episodes are up right now on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, and they've just finished their first season of 10 episodes, and it dovetails literally right into the end of the original Monsters, Inc. movie. Oh, interesting. That clicks right into place. And if this is the one and done, uh, overall, it was really, really nicely done. Oh, we were talking about Netflix stuff, and you had wanted to mention about the Summit of the Gods, which I just watched the sort of the teaser footage that's out there, and jeez. Yeah. It's coming to Netflix in November, but it, they also want to make a, a, a run for the, the best animated feature. Is that correct? Yeah, well, you know, uh, they, bought, uh, they bought the Egyptian, actually, here in LA and they bought the Paris in New York, right? So Mm -hmm. they have a dedicated theater that they can show this stuff and have those obligations met. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it'll open in theaters on the 24th. It'll open on Netflix on November 30th. So it was an official selection at Cannes. It got really great buzz. It's, it's based in part on, on George Mallory's expedition Everest on June 8th, 1924 and has kind of Mm -hmm. a new take, but 
This is the new film by Patrick Imbert, who did The Big Bad Fox and Other Tales, which I don't know if you ever saw, Jim, but is absolutely wonderful. That's another great Blu-ray you can get from G Kids. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I I love that they're sort of they're attacking both kind of spheres, the kind of arty animated mm-hmm. feature with this and then the more commercial with Mitchell's and the Machines and Vivo and Wish Dragon and that that kind of stuff. So we'll see where they put their their Oscar weight. But yeah, very, very exciting. Okay. No, I agree. I agree. It's just between what Netflix is doing in regard to its animated series coupled with these features, which, again, it wants to get taken seriously for uh, Academy Award conference. But really, they bought the Egyptian. I love that theater. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Never quite gets the love that the Chinese gets, but or for, for that matter, you know, the El Capitan, but... I love it. I think it's one of the one of the best remaining movie palaces in the city, and it's so convenient. You can get there on the train. I love it. Mm-hmm. Big no, big no. Egyptian fan over here, Jim. Okay, same thing here. That I saw they did a double feature of one of the more uh, two of the more recent Godzilla films, and uh, it was a, it was a fun night to be there in in that beautiful theater. You know that complex with surrounded by. People who also like watching men dress in rubber suits tear down teeny tiny buildings. Yeah, I think the last movie I saw there was uh, Flight of the Navigator, actually. Really? Yeah, okay. and it played like gangbusters. There were a, a small but dedicated few of us there, Jim, but they had, I think, the director and... Um, and Randall uh, the, Kleiser, the, which yes. we'll, we, we're going to touch on him on the second half of today's show. There you go. It's all coming together, folks. It's all a plan. All right, so we'll back shortly with our, our tribute to Ed Asner. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, first half of the show, talked a lot about Disney. Only fair that we talk about what Warner Brothers and Paramount are doing animation-wise. And you sent me the link to the Star Trek Prodigy title sequence. Wasn't that gorgeous? Oh, it's amazing. You and I have been excited about this since we talked with Kevin and Dave Hagman back when they were uh, getting, well, again, we were just talking about Netflix and they had done Troll Hunters Rise of the Titans uh, for them. That was out on July 21st. But the Hagmans already moved on to working on their next series, which was Star Trek Prodigy. And a beautiful imagery and certainly the theme music by Michael Giacchino? Giacchino. Giacchino. Michael Giacchino. Looks like so far we've got two... 10-episode seasons, uh, which will air first on Paramount Plus and then on Nickelodeon. Also, while we're talking Star Trek and animation, did we get to see the latest Lower Deck? No, but I know you're going to spoil it for it. I mean, this is this show is basically Jim spoiling whatever this week's <laughs> Star Trek Lower Decks is for me. So 
I just gotta get I gotta get quicker, Jim. I gotta get on my game. I gotta watch okay. that right away. So all I'm gonna say, if you remember from the original series, one of the more ridiculous monsters, the guy in an albino, you know, gorilla suit with a unicorn horn. We get to meet those creatures yet again. And we've got Tom Kenny voicing a Ferengi. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. Just no. kidding. Just kidding. So, I had you. I had you there. You did. You did. You did. You did. <laughs> and it just, it's one of these things where I want this holiday season to see the, it's a SpongeBob Christmas special again. Uh, the, the, did you ever see that? Is it stop, stop motion? motion? Yeah, yeah. 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 It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no it, it, it's worth it alone for the, the holiday song that Tom Kenny himself wrote, which was, Don't Be a Jerk, It's Christmas. But that originally debuted back in November of 2012, and I thought, oh, well, of course this is going to become a holiday perennial, and then it just sort of drops from sight, which I mentioned this because you dug up a number of projects that Warner Brothers Animation is readying for this holiday season that genuinely sound fun. Yeah. The did I do that to the holidays? A Steve Urkel story. You know, we've got Jaleel White coming back to voice the character that he did on ABC's Family uh, Matters from '89 to '97. The bullet point is what Steve Urkel upsets a mall Santa and then decides to travel to the North Pole to make things right with the real Santa and hijinks ensue. That old chestnut. Yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of which, though, what did you think, you know, Merry Little Batman, which is, I'm looking at the logline for this thing and thinking, this is basically Home Home Alone set at Wayne Manor? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I love the Damian Wayne character, you know, Batman's sort of 'er ne'er-do-well son Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. with Tati Al Ghul and... um, Talia Al Ghul. And and yeah, it sounds really, really fun. It, It has a script by... Morgan Evans, who wrote for Disney Plus's Earth to Ned. Yep. So, yep. yeah, it. Uh, I, I'm all about Merry Little Batman, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we have an untitled Porky and Daffy sci-fi buddy action comedy. This one's going to be done in 2D rather than Space Jam A New Legacy. And it has Porky and Daffy trying to thwart a secret alien mind control plot, which is being run out of a bubblegum factory. And that sounds like Marvin the Martian, maybe? (laughs) But this is all going to be part of a new programming event at Cartoon Network Acme Night, which begins September 19th and then runs every Sunday night going forward. So An interesting choice to emphasize linear broadcast. Um, It is. It is in this day and age. But at the same time, I love how Warner Brothers uh, television animation really leans in when they do these sorts of things, when they circle back on characters and and give them their own showcases. I mean, for example, that Teen Titan episode, Huggabies, that ran in November of last year where they revisited Freakazoid. I mean, they brought back Paul Rugg, the original voice of Freakazoid. He actually helped write the script for that that episode of Teen Titans. They also brought back David Warner to voice Freakazoid's longtime nemesis, The Lobe. And they even brought back Edward Asner to voice Cosgrove, Freakazoid's I don't want to say mentor because what's great about Cosgrove is he turned to Freakazoid and was like, hey, Freakazoid, you want to go see a bear ride a motorcycle? And it's like, would I? And they would just tote it and they'd smash cut to the two of them watching a, a bear on a motorcycle and just jump away from that story. But Well, as, as my buddy Dan Cunningham, who is a, a listener of the show, pointed out, you know, Cosgrove 
understood the important things in life and didn't take anything too seriously. And I think that is a great message to take away from Cosgrove and Freakazoid's relationship, quite frankly. Yeah, and you had been lucky enough to see the all five episodes of Doug Days out ahead and just weirdly mentioned that it was really probably unlikely that we were going to get any more performances out of Edward Asner given that he was 91 and then just days later we lost him and so it was nice to sort of see you know fans acknowledging as the episode went up that here we were talking about Ed. I have to say you were exactly right about Doug Days. Bob Peterson and the team at Pixar did an amazing job and I know they didn't plan the episode, the science episode, the the, the fifth of the bunch, the way they did, but it ends on such a, a great note between Carl and Doug. And if that's how we have to leave Ed Asner, uh, it's a great way to go. Yeah. I told you. Yeah. I told you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did want to talk about, though, that there's been a lot of people uh, doing tributes to Asner, but I think one of the very best that was posted online this past week came from Greg Weissman, the creator of uh, Disney's Gargoyles, and he posted this earlier this week, and he, he talked about when we began production of Gargoyles, I thought of Edward Asner, or Lou Grant at least, as the inspiration for Hudson, who was kind of the the father figure for Goliath is his his guide. In fact, when we held auditions for the role, I wrote at the bottom of the character description that Hudson hates spunk, which is of course a variation on Lou's classic line for that character's job interview with with Mary in the pilot episode of the Mary Tyler Moore show. And Greg goes on to say, now to be clear, I never imagined we'd get Ed to play the role of Hudson. I figured he was way too big a star for us to land. But lo and behold, a few days later, Ed came in to audition for the part. Later, he told me that he'd read the character description. He was initially thrilled because Hudson hates spunk line made him think he had a lock on the role. And then a couple of minutes later, he thought, well, if I don't land the role, that would really be awful. But anyway, uh, he comes in, he immediately understood the character and nailed his audition only to then had Jamie Thomason, she handled uh, the, the, a lot of the voice recording for Gargoyle, to throw him a curveball asking him to do it again in a Scottish ac- accent, which Grant nailed. Uh, excuse me, Edward Asner nailed. And he goes on to say, working with Ed was a joy. He was uh, fun and funny and so supportive. When casting Peter Parker's late Uncle Ben for the spectacular Spider-Man show, Ed was the only person I ever considered. He, he always brought so much to each and every role. And by the way, Ed did a second Spider-Man show animated series. He was on Spider-Man, the animated series. And he, on that show, he voiced J. Jonah Jameson. And I just, I find it fascinating that Asner could easily play both extremes of that, that, that role, you know, the Peter Parker's authority figures. Greg goes on to say that, and more than that, Ed was a great friend to me. When when I couldn't find a job for over a year and thought that I'd have to give up my writing career, Ed was there offering me support. We had lunch at Musso and Frank's. He looked at pictures of my kids out of my wallet and told me to laminate them. He introduced me to his son, Matt Asner, a producer. He didn't allow me to wallow in self-pity or to badmouth guys who I believed had done me wrong. He just reassured me that I had ability and would find my way through. He was, in essence... My work dad. Greg went on to close by mentioning that he wrote a great line for Asner's Hudson character in, in a Gargoyles episode. 
uh, was an interaction between Hudson and that show's villain, a uh, villain, a uh, billionaire, David Thanos, uh, who's voiced by Jonathan Frakes from uh, Star Trek Next Generation fame. And Thanos was always trying to harness the gargoyle's gift and curse, which w- was immortality. And so Hudson at one point turns to Thanos and says, true immortality isn't about living forever. It's what you do with the time you have. And if you think about the legacy that, that Edward Asner left, and they were talking about, I want to say he had somewhere between 300 and 400 TV and film credits, not to mention all the causes that he fought for, all of the organizations he raised money for. This is a guy who is a true immortal. This is the sort of legacy you want to leave. Do you have any particular favorite performances of, of Asner's? No, I mean, as we were sort of pre-gaming, I was just amazed at the uh, amount of animation credits he had and how many mm-hmm. different types of shows. And he would go on American Dad and play six different characters. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was just really amazing the kind of breadth of his work. I think that obviously Freakazoid w- was very important to me. And, and I think that mm-hmm. performance is amazing. But, yeah, I mean, his his performance in Up is is incredible. And I think I was really surprised by the level of emotional depth that these shorts have because you know it's just really sweet and it's sort of like doug realize you know learning new things in life and he he calls carl papa which is Mm -hmm. just so cute and Mm -hmm. kind of breaks your heart and i i don't know i i was just these these shorts are such a perfect kind of grace note to end his career on, and I was just really really floored by by everything that they got out of those five ten minute episodes. You're not wrong; they're they're absolutely beautifully done. And and the weird part of it is is that if you you look at them from an animation production, they're this wonderful lesson in economy. I mean, you have the backyard of Carl Fredrickson's new house, you have a little bit of the neighborhood, you have the interior of the house, and it's one of those, they used to say about the indigenous people, they'd use every part of the buffalo. Everything that they created for the, these shorts got used. And they borrowed some things from other Pixar productions. I don't know they if you did. noticed the, they did. You know, you the know, Ferris I, wheel from <laughs> Toy Story 4 and you know stuff like that. Thanks again for pointing that out on the last show. It's like, oh, yeah, that's what Drew was talking about. Uh, by the way, folks, if you're looking for stuff to watch in regard to Ed Asner, uh, let me recommend... There is a holiday special that was done back in December of 77, The Gathering. It's kind of poignant because he, Asner basically plays a man who discovers that he's dying and that he, he's been estranged from his, his wife and his family for a number of years. And he decides he, won't, he wants to have one last Christmas with his family. And well, first of all, it's produced by Hanna-Barbera. And you you would not think that this wonderful, emotional, yet understated show could come from a cartoon studio. Also, we had mentioned Randall Kleiser early on, the the gentleman who directed Flight of the Navigator and Disney's Honey, I I Blew Up the Baby and also the Honey, I Shrunk the Audience uh, attraction. This was one of the very first things he directed. And it then it actually went on to win the Emmy that year for Outstanding Special. And then just to bury the needle in the complete opposite direction, we are just eight weeks away from the endless run of Christmas films that begin the night of Halloween. They, they immediately go into Christmas programming. And if Elf is on 
and it's a part with Edward Asner in it, I will just sit and watch because his very world-weary Santa in, in that movie is one of my favorite performances. You know, especially that moment when the sled is crashed in Central Park and he's interacting with Buddy's stepbrother, David, and actually pulls out the list uh, and reads to him exactly what that kid wants at Christmas. This is lovely, real moment. I mean, he makes this this fantasy character, Santa, you know, real. So that's going to do it for this week, folks, for fine-tuning. If you've enjoyed the show, then I, I cannot recommend enough uh, another fine podcast you should definitely be listening to, and that, of course, is Light the Fuse, which is uh, Drew's podcast that touches on, well, <laughs> are you going to be talking this week about Top Gun Maverick and Mission Impossible 7 getting you know shuttled off to 2022? Or? We actually just recorded a Patreon-exclusive episode, so if you want to be the most up-to-date on that stuff, check that out there. But yeah, we've... Uh... We've got some great episodes coming up, Jim. You know, we we are we are always trying to entertain and delight fans of the Mission Impossible franchise. Sadly, our Light the Fuselage miniseries is now getting pushed back to next spring, but who knows what'll happen before then, Jim. This We're, is true. This you know. is true. But but again, uh, so many amazing behind the scenes stories. You know, and again, because largely the the folks who do you know, the Mission Impossible films, the, you know, Top Gun, or, or for that matter, the John Wick films have, have worked on so many other films. And, and you just get so many great, amazing stories out of these folks. Again, on our side of the street, we do okay, too. I mean, we, we, we got Disney Dish with Len Testa, uh, like, likewise, Marvelous Disney. Uh, I do with Aaron Adams. And we're working on pulling together stories about Universal Beijing, uh, which I don't know if you saw. We now have an official opening date. September 20th, and Dustin and I will be talking about that. But anyway, Drew, uh, Drew, if folks are looking for you on social media, where can they find you? Just on Drew Tailored uh, on Twitter and Instagram, like a tailored shirt. And uh, yeah, that's it for me. What about you, Jim? Where can people find you? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media, and on Facebook it's Jim Hill Media News. And we will be back with a brand new fine-tuning next week. So till then, take care, folks. <laughs>